So today we are going to finish our series in Proverbs. Proverbs, we said, are instructions to obtain wisdom for making decisions which result in successful living. I think we would all say, yeah, I want to be successful. As God defines success, I want to do that. Well, in order to do that, I have to make good decisions. In order to do that, I need to be wise. And this whole series has been about how can we gain wisdom for successful living in all these different categories, and we'll review a few of those in just a moment. We said that Proverbs are principles. They aren't promises. We don't claim them. We live them out. The more we live them out, the more we embody them, the more they become who we are. We said that knowledge is intellectual information, whereas wisdom is the effective application of knowledge. Pastor Mike would tell you, he's heard, I've heard him say this many times, uh, that in our world we are addicted to knowledge, but we are allergic to wisdom. And there's just a lack of it. And the whole purpose is to take the knowledge of life and apply it effectively to our lives. Over our nine weeks together, we have covered how to protect our hearts and why that's important. We've talked about guarding our mouths. We've talked about how to overlook an offense, embracing the sovereignty of God. We've talked about being a person of character, what it means to have a proper perspective on our possessions in this world, and what it means to accept correction. And if you have not had an opportunity to take any or all of those in, we encourage you to go back to the website and take a peek at that. Today, as we close out, we are going to talk about what it means to wisely cultivate relationships. God said from the very beginning, first he created the first marriage. He said it's not good for the man to be alone. He created a partner to walk through life. That's the foundational relationship. But our whole life is filled with relationships. Everything we do, more than likely, is relationally connected somewhere. And it's very, very important that the relationships that we choose to be closest to our lives are ones that are productive and helpful and encouraging and help us to become all that God would want us to be. We have acquaintances and we have casual friends and we have close friends and we have business associates and we have the issue, the, the issue of dating and we many marry and then we have family. Now, from an extended family perspective, we can't choose who they are, but the principles of cultivating relationships still apply. One of my closest friends was raised as the oldest of four in an inner city, very poor neighborhood. They were often on welfare and food stamps. There was alcoholism and codependency. And as he has grown into adulthood and developed a family of his own, applying wise principles of relationship and boundaries to some of his family have been essential for their own sanity and their own journey in Christ. See, for most of our decisions in life, we have criteria. We think through what it is that we want in a college. We talk about where it is and how much it costs and the kind of majors they have and and how it will position us for jobs down the road. Is it a school that's known for that or whatever it might be? We have criteria for what we're going to do, how we're going to choose a job. Again, where is it located and so forth and so on. All these different things. You know, you can Google choosing a melon at the grocery store and you can get a 14-step process on how to choose a good melon. And many people don't have that many steps, steps when choosing a marriage partner. How do we cultivate good relationships? See, unfortunately for many of us, and depending on how challenging our history has been, in relationships we generally end up getting what we've asked for. We just don't know that we're asking for it. In reality, 
there are many people who are victimized in the world who then go on to become volunteers. One of my many counseling experiences, I was counseling a woman who was divorcing her third alcoholic husband in a row. And she was victimized truly in every one of those situations and we cannot blame her for his behavior. And at a certain point in time, she's got to look in the mirror and become to, come to understand why it is that she keeps volunteering for this situation. And recognizing that as she walks into a room that the only men who show up on her radar screen are going to be men who aren't good for her and the men who will be good for her aren't showing up as blips on that radar screen. And so often when we find ourselves in difficult relationships, we have to ask ourselves and come to clarity on why is this happening and how can I do better? What am I going to do in order to surround myself with people and community that is fruitful and productive for me and for them and for the us, this church? I have a niece who's graduating from college this year. You know, as my children have navigated the area of social media, I've talked with other kind of young adults to try to say, well, how, how do you manage that? In the, the good and not so good of it all, because there's a lot of not so good of it all in social media. And so she said, with regard to Snapchat, Snapchat she says, I never connect with people that I don't know. And she said, sometimes people reach out to connect with me, and if I don't know them, I will just leave them unopened and hanging. You understand in the world of young people, that's like to leave somebody unopened is like the ultimate snub, the ultimate punch in the face. And we feel pressure to let people into our life. Why? Why am I letting this person who I don't even know into my world? I know some with 300 connections on Instagram and I'm like, I'm sorry, you do not know 3,000. I'm sorry, 3,000 people. You do not know 3,000 people. You may know 3,000 people, but they're not your inner circle, I'll tell you that much. So today we're going to talk about six principles from the book of Proverbs about what it means to cultivate wise, cultivate relationships that are healthy for me. And the first one is to choose people who are wise. Choose people who are wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. And this was our memory verse for the day. I encourage you to commit it to memory. Just because someone speaks doesn't mean we need to listen. Just because someone is in our periphery doesn't mean that what they say is to influence us as from the Lord. You know, I've prayed for my children their entire lives that they would have mentors in their journey. And I admit that there are times when I've worked really, really hard to orchestrate that and it just it doesn't seem to work out. Like behind the scenes, you know, and it just doesn't always work out. One of the things that we've discovered with our children, it, when they do have a mentor or an older, another adult in their life speaking into them, they'll, they'll, they'll say, wow, you know, they'll, they'll share with us some the amazing and brilliant information that, they were, that was just shared with them from someone who's a mentor. And you know how this goes, parents. You're thinking in your brain. You don't say it out loud because that wouldn't help. You're like, I have said this to them no less than a hundred times. And somehow another adult says it and it's like, Eureka. We pray that each of us has people who are wise, who speak into our lives. The question is, 
Who do you know who's wise, who's speaking into your life? And I don't care how old you are. You could be 80 here today and still benefit from wise people speaking into your life. Who are those people for you? Number two, not only should we choose people who are wise, number two, we should choose people who are committed to truth-telling. We should be committed to those who are truth-telling. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin, Proverbs 26, 28. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Now, I know that none of us seeks to have more liars in their life. I mean, none of us said, you know, I just need, a, I just need another liar or two in my life. You know, that'll be good for me. We don't, we don't say that. Oh, but we do this. We often shy away from truth tellers. Why? That's uncomfortable. I may hear something that I don't like. I may get a challenge about a decision or a direction that's not really in alignment with what God would have for me with what I would want. So although I don't seek liars, I may not seek truth tellers either. And a wise person who's learning how to live through life and navigate it well and make good decisions to be successful from God's perspective is a person who allows truth tellers into their life. Lying and cheating are paramount in our culture today. We have no shortage of that. Just turn on your TV for about five minutes. And having people who are willing to speak truth to us in a loving way, Ephesians 4.15 says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. There's a person on our staff team here. She's been at the church, I'm guessing 25 years or so. I won't tell you her name, but her initials are Cheryl Ryan. And... um, (laughs) Uh, she's, she's our counselor. She's one of our counselors here. And uh, one of the things I've learned about Cheryl in the last five years, my journey here at RBC, is she is one of the most effective, loving truth-tellers that I've ever known. And on more than one occasion, I get the text. Can I speak some truth into your life? Does she really expect me to say no? Like, am I, am I you know, I, 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 a part of me wants to say no. Like, here it comes. But she knows I'm not going to say no. But she always asks permission. And then she lovingly shares some thoughts about something that she believes would be helpful for me to hear. And it always is helpful for me to hear. And for those of you, especially you ladies who have been in some form of counseling relationship with her over the years at some point in time, you know the skill of truth-telling in a loving way that pierces some of those elements of your heart that need to be pierced that may be uncomfortable, but that for our own good, we need to hear it. Do you have truth tellers in your life? Do you have someone who's willing to step into the fray with you? And let me just say this. If you are a person who never receives a challenging truth, one of the things that you may consider doing is looking in the mirror and wondering whether there's something that you give off that says, please don't confront me with the truth. Because if we don't hear it, sometimes, whether we know it or not, it's because we're sending out a vibe that says, I I don't really want to hear that, or I I don't handle that very well, or whatever it happens to be. You know, I'm doing five 
weddings this year. One is this afternoon. I love weddings and I love working with young couples, getting ready to launch into marriage. And one of the things that I say to them is in your journey together, on a regular routine basis, look at each other and say, how have I loved you this week? And how can I love you better? And when you say, how can I love you better? When you ask that question, you are inviting a corrective measure. You are then saying, I am prepared to hear a word of correction from you in a loving way. And very few of us at points in our journey are willing to invite correction. And it's good for us to do that when we have truth tellers in our lives. Number one, choose people who are wise. Number two, choose people who are committed to truth-telling. Number three, choose people with a good reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Solomon is telling us that you can be the wealthiest person in the world, and with a crummy reputation, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. Rather to be a poor man who has honor and reputation in the world around him than a wealthy man who has access to every convenience in life with a low reputation. He was a pastor in the local area for 25 years and for much of that at one of the largest churches in the region, there's a lot of people who just know me because I've been a public figure for a very, very long time. And it's not uncommon for us to go places and for us to run into people that I know. And my wife, as an introvert and so forth, she's like, it happened again. You You know, we're walking down, we're walking down to dinner on a Disney cruise in the Caribbean. I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago. And from behind we hear, Pastor Sup, Pastor Sup. And my wife squeezes my hand really hard. Like we can't go on a Disney cruise and get away from the crowd, if you will. One of the biggest concerns that I've had in 25 years of pastoral ministry is to just have a good reputation, to be well spoken of. You know, when someone comes up in conversation and someone else says, oh yeah, I I know him. Well, that's not good. When you come up in conversation, what do you want people to say about you? Oh yeah, I know him. I know her. Five years ago, uh, when I departed my previous assignment, there was a couple here who I've known for probably 18 years, coming to RBC now. And um, as soon as I left my position, they started whispering in Pastor Mike's ear, you got to get Jim, you got to get Jim. And there's no greater compliment that anyone has ever paid me in my life than to say that you want this man on your team. And I was so blessed by that. Because seeking to have a reputation that's honorable to the living God is foundational for us as believers and for the kind of people that we want to seek. A good reputation is more valuable than great riches. My sister and I are about six years apart. When she was in late high school, I was just graduating from college, entering into my adult years. And she started dating a guy Uh, in the high school there. And I did what every older brother should do, should do, is I did my reconnaissance and my background investigation on this young man. 
And what I was hearing uh, were things that weren't very good. Like he was so wonderful to her. He put on his best face. He was so kind and loving and he did wonderful things for her, this and that. But what I was hearing did not provide for a good reputation. So I kind of reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, this guy, I've been doing some homework. No, this isn't a good situation. You need to break up with him. And you know what? She did. She did. Because she came to understand with my support the reputation that she didn't see, that everyone else knew except for her. A good reputation. It's more valuable than great riches. Number one, choose people who are wise. Number two, choose people who are committed to truth-telling. Are you willing to let truth-tellers into your life? I hope you are. Number three, choose people with a good reputation. And number four, choose people who are prudent. Choose people who are prudent. Now, prudence means to be wise in practical matters. We think of this in terms of money, and it often is. But it's beyond that to other more broad practical matters. Proverbs 19.14 says, House and wealth are inherited from the fathers. That's wonderful. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. Prudent wife is from the Lord. I would suggest prudent husbands from the Lord too, but in this case, a prudent wife. You know, we've mentioned previously in a previous message that on the continuum, most of us fall either in the side of kind of the, the saver or the spender when it comes to money, right? We said that, that spenders, when they get money, they're like, ooh, freedom. And savers, when they get money, they're like, ooh, security, And often people marry those who are opposite from them. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, and I know if we had a show of hands, many of you would go, yeah, yeah, that's that's a great tension in our marriage, as it is with mine. So I'm, I'm a saver. My wife is a spender. But, but what I've come to discover after 23 years of marriage, 23 years this month, is that my wife, although she's a spender and enjoys the the effective use of resources is very, very prudent. Now, I'm a saver. Oh, but don't let that deceive you. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm prudent. What it means for me is that I'm just plain anxious about money. Okay, I'm a saver, not because I'm prudent. I'm a saver because I'm like, I have a fear of security, and this is not the way we ought to live. I'd much rather be married to a spender who is prudent. And I know I drive her crazy because I'm a saver who's fearful. Marrying somebody who's prudent, who knows how to navigate life. And so when she says, we can do this, we can afford it, we're fine. Okay, got it, let's go. And in 23 years, she hasn't been wrong. In 23 years, she hasn't been wrong. Prudence is seen in Proverbs 14, 15, when it says the simple believe everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The prudent gives thoughts to his steps. What are the steps to go off to college? What do we need to put into place? How is this navigated? For some families, a gap year is a good idea for you and for your kid. For some, community college is the prudent decision. In our family, we chose the most expensive decision to go away to college. Natalie is a freshman at Liberty. 
That's the most expensive of those options. But for us, it was the most prudent of options. Why? For her independence, for her spiritual growth, for all of these areas of her life, spending the money and going away to school was the most prudent thing we could do for her growth and development. So prudence isn't, it includes money, but it includes so much more than that. Being around prudent people is really, really wise. And they contribute to the betterment of our lives. Number one, choose people who are wise. Number two, choose people who are committed to truth-telling. Number three, choose people with a good reputation. Number four, choose people who are prudent. Number five, choose people who are humble. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Now, lowly there means Meekness, not weakness. Jesus was meek, but he certainly wasn't weak. It's modesty. It's being not arrogant, not prideful. If you've been in business and industry for any length of time, chances are really good you've either read or you are aware of the Jim Collins trilogy, Built to Last, Good to Great, and How to Mighty Fall. And these books are all about, he studied companies, And what he he sought to do was, what are the common variables that make companies endure? What are the common variables that cause companies to go from goodness to greatness? And then what are the variables that cause great companies to crash and burn? brilliant works. And if you are a business owner or you're involved in business development, you should read these books. He is not a believer, but he has discovered many, many wonderful things that are biblical principles. And one of them is just this. He has discovered or talks about what he calls the level five leader. And the level five leader is a person who is at the top of the organization And who has two paradoxical qualities that magically go together. The first one is that they have a passion for the mission of the organization. They live and they breathe what they are about. And the second thing, paradoxically, is that they have a level of humility that you rarely see at that level of leadership that puts the organization and everyone else above themselves. And what Jim Collins came to recognize is that the best of the best leaders that develop amazing companies and organizations, they just lead like Jesus. That they have a passion for the mission and they have a humility that puts everybody else above themselves. The level five leader. That's the kind of people I want to be and be around. People who have that level of humility That no matter, even though they're the highest on the food chain, they are not above doing anything from that point and all the way down on the food chain. In my previous assignment, one of the things that I did provided that I had multiple staff that reported to me, including several administrative assistants for our broad ministry. One week, one of the receptionists at the front desk was out on vacation and they were asking all of the administrative staff to kind of pick up an hour here and an hour there to kind of fill in the gaps. 
And so my administrative team was doing that, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to plug myself in for an hour. That'll be cool. You know, I could use, how many I direct your call? You know, that kind of a thing. And it was the most bizarre experience that I had. Because each time, as I was sitting there answering the phones, as administrative staff walked by, they grew increasingly uncomfortable. And they tried to relieve me of of my volunteer task. They're like, oh, pastor, you, you shouldn't be doing this. And then as all the pastors were walking by, they grew uncomfortable for a different reason. They're like, dude, you're making us look bad. What are you doing? We have people for that. And it was the the most amazing illustration of humility that I'd ever seen. I wasn't seeking to be humble. I was just seeking to help. And it poked at the issue of hierarchy in an organization like I had never seen before. And humble people who are high up in any organization who aren't afraid to do anything that anyone else would do. That's the kind of person I want to be around. Because that's the kind of person with a level of humility that says, I'm just here to serve. I am an instrument no matter where God puts me. Some days I get to be an instrument up here and some days I get to be an instrument in ways that are behind the scenes. I'm not above doing any of it. Number one, choose people who are wise. Number two, choose people who are committed to truth-telling. Number three, choose people who are of good reputation. Number four, choose people who are prudent. Number five, choose people who are humble. Got one more verse for you out of Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter two. It says, have this mind among you yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how humble Jesus was. And that's who he wants us to be. And that's who he wants us to allow to be our closest inner circle. Sixth and finally, choose people who use their words well. Who use their words well. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Those who use words well, those who encourage, those who support, those who provide the kind of things that other people need, those who know what to say at just the right time. Have you ever been around anybody like that? Someone who you walk away and you say, they always know the right thing to say. That's the kind of person you want to find. That's the kind of person you want to be around. Someone who knows just what to say, when you need to say it. Wise words transform situations. Wise words, well-placed words, can move a situation from bad in a different direction. When Jesus had this woman who was caught in adultery laying on the ground in front of her, in front of him, and he looked at the crowd and he said, let he who cast the first, who he was without sin, cast the first stone. Now, Jesus and everybody knew that the Old Testament law says that The punishment for adultery is stoning, is death by stoning. That is biblically true. 
And yet Jesus was taking the world and he was about, he was transforming it into a new thing. He was taking the old and he was transforming it into the new. He was taking it from the external, behavioral, structural, and he was bringing it to an internal reality. And he took the most amazing, well-placed words in that moment. He forgave her, he released her, and he convicted all who are so quick to judge in their heart with just a few powerful, well-placed words. I don't know about you, but in my life, I seek people who know just what to say and just how to say it so that I have clarity about the next steps of my journey. My brother is a pastor He's been a pastor for almost 30 years. He's been an executive pastor his entire ministry career. And he has seen just about everything there is to see. Literally everything there is to see. If something could go wrong, if something could go bad, he's seen it. One day he was sitting in his office and he got a call. He got a call from a prostitute who was calling to tell him that his youth pastor had stood her up and she was so mad that she decided to call and turn him in. What do you do with that? How do you move forward from there? When I have difficult situations and I don't know what to do and just ask my wife, she'll say, you need to call your brother. We'll talk about it and then she'll say, I think you just need to call your brother because he always seems to know what to say, how to say it in the right time, in the right way. For forward movement, that's the kind of people that we want to be around. Six things today out of Proverbs about cultivating relationships for our own good. The first one is choose, choose people who are wise. Number two, choose people who are committed to truth-telling. Number three, choose people with a good reputation. Number four, choose people who are prudent. Choose people who are humble. Choose people who use their words well. And let me ask you two questions today. Number one, when you look at that list, let's start without, apart from others, let's ask the question, how well do I conform to that list of six things? How well do I live out being wise and truth-telling? How is my reputation? How prudent am I? How humble am I? How well do I use words? You see, because people who do these things well attract people who do these things well. If I don't do these things well, people who do do these things well may not choose me. <laughs> if they're choosing people who do these things well as well. You with me? So am I a person who lives these principles? And if you go, ooh, okay. Number one, number four, whatever it is. Ah, this is a matter of prayer. Number two, do I have people in my life who exemplify these principles and realities. And if I don't, the challenge for me today is to then 
place myself in environments where these people tend to congregate. Where do people who exemplify these six things tend to find themselves? Well, I'll tell you, we have more often these kinds of people engage in shepherd groups. More often, these kinds of people serve. You're going to find them down in the gap or in junior high or in quest or at the welcome desk. They're they're engaged in ministry. What I find, if I want to meet people who are like a certain something, I try to place myself where those people are likely to be. You know, I'm working with a young adult who really would love to be married, love to be dating. I'm saying, put yourself where quality people are. How many people do I know who've met and married somebody from a mission trip? Why? Because quality people go on mission trips. That's one of the things, one of the many things that quality people tend to do. So question one, how are you doing? How are we doing on the list? Number two, are you surrounded with people who are like this? And if not, what can you do? What steps will you take to invite people in your life for your own good and for the corporate us as we raise the level of all of us in exemplifying these things? Because let me tell you, the person who has exemplified these things more than anybody else in all human history is Jesus. He's the wisest most, most lovingly truth-telling man that ever lived. And for 2,000 years, he's had the best reputation of any human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And Jesus knew, knew how to make wise, prudent decisions in every way. He was the most humble man who ever lived. And more than anyone, he was able to use his words well for the glory of God. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you have shown up, you're seeking, you, you want to get connected spiritually, you're trying to figure all of this out. I want to tell you that the first person that you need to bring into your inner circle to exemplify these things is Jesus. It's Jesus himself. And then when you and Jesus start walking together, he can help introduce you to people who are just like him, who are reflecting him in these ways for your own good. And the way to meet Jesus today is to recognize that you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness and repentance from the way of life that you've been leading that's apart from him. In all, no matter what ways you are good, the Bible tells us that we're never good enough. And so Jesus came humbly to die on the cross for our sins, that if we would receive that payment and enter into a relationship with him, we can have eternal life and a relationship with him and we can live differently like this, in this life. We challenge and encourage you that if you've never committed your life to Christ, that you would do that today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this whole series in Proverbs. We pray, Lord God, that these words and the messages from the past would just be ringing in our ears, things that we could be developing more effectively about how we should be living Father, may they be the principles that we need in order to live well. Father, thank you for relationships. And Lord, Father, I pray for any today who are in difficult, painful relationships. And however they've gotten there, and I pray, God, that you would give them wisdom about how to move forward in the midst of that. Father, I pray, especially if it's a difficult marriage, 
Lord God, that you would bring healing, that you would bring clarity, that you would help each one in that situation to look in the mirror and come to understand their own contribution to that painful, difficult situation. Come to understand what it means to invite wise people into their situation for their own good. Father, we pray as we consider Jesus today in communion as the ultimate man who exemplifies these characteristics, Lord God, that we would embrace him more deeply today, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, indeed, we are celebrating communion today. And I feel like the the undergirding elements of communion today in our thoughts and our minds, I'm really hoping will be everything we've talked about today. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he does live these things in spades. He is the ultimate and consummate example of all of them. And as we seek him, as we pursue him as followers of Jesus Christ, that we become like him. It's called sanctification, that process of transforming into more and more into the image of Jesus. And what I want to do for just a few moments is I just want you to close your eyes and pray. Pray about these matters. Talk to Jesus about thanking him for the way, who he is in our lives. Asking God to transform us into these qualities. Asking God to fill our lives with people who live these things out well, that we might be in community for the sake of the kingdom of God. So go ahead and pray for just a couple minutes over these things. I'll come back. We'll take communion together as he has commanded us to do. Go ahead and pray. Jesus came that we might have a relationship with him through the death, his death on the cross. And in that upper room, the last night with his disciples, he took bread and he said, this bread is my body, 
which is broken for you. This bread, as you eat it throughout history until I come back, is a representation of what I did to give you access to a relationship with God. He said, this bread represents my broken body for you. Let's participate in the bread together. At that same meal, he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood. It represents my shed blood because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And as you drink this cup, in the generations to come, you are proclaiming your allegiance with me, that you are aligned with what I did for you and you're proclaiming that together every time you do this. So let's participate in the cup together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth and living the most wise, loving, truth-telling, prudent, humble life filled with the most effective words that have ever been used. We're grateful that your life has taught us so much about how we are to live and that your death is what gives us access to that life. I pray, Lord God, that we would be your people, that you would build a community that's connected in all the ways that we've talked about today and that we would be a light in this dark world. We pray all these things in your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen.